Amen. Well, we are nearing the end of our sermon series. We're not at the end, but we're nearing the end of 2 Thessalonians. We're actually in chapter 3, which is the last chapter. And really, in this final section, he gives a call to prayer. A call to prayer. And I'm just wondering, you know, how are you doing when it comes to praying? How are you guys doing when it comes to praying? Are you are you praying, first of all? Some of you guys might say, honestly, Pastor Rick, I don't really pray very much. And that may be the case for you. Maybe you're someone who is praying or you're trying to pray, but you're struggling. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know how long I should be praying. Maybe you even struggle with, does it work? Does it matter? Does it affect anything to actually pray? Well, the Bible, of course, calls us to prayer. And it actually gives us specific things to be praying for, which is good. Because if you ask God to do what he already loves to do, <laughs> the likelihood is don't be surprised when you see that it happens, that God, does, God loves to answer certain prayers. And of course, the opposite is true. When we ask God to do things that are really not his delight to do, don't be surprised when we don't get many answers to that. You know, praying for things like your family members coming to know the Lord and God giving you wisdom as you try to share the gospel. So those are prayers God loves to answer. Asking God to provide for us as we trust him. And, uh, when you ask God to do what he already loves to do, don't be surprised when he gives us wonderful, powerful answers. But if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know what I should really be praying about. The good thing is right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he gives us a number of things that we should really be spending our time praying to God about. Turn with me or look on the screen as we read just a short section, just five verses, as Paul the Apostle and his missionary team do some prayer requests for this church in Thessalonica. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. If you want to know where we're going, uh, an outline here, pray for the mission of the gospel, the spread of the word of the Lord, verses 1 and 2. Pray for a successful spiritual warfare to be guarded against the evil one, verses 3 and 4. And then pray that God directs our hearts to himself. Pray that our hearts to be directed, or for our hearts to be directed to God in verse Five. So he begins by asking for prayer. That's important. Paul is, he wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, he is an apostle. Uh, God used him to reach the most of the early Gentile world, and yet he knows 100% that he is completely dependent upon prayer, <laughs> that he needs the Lord, and he is not afraid, not ashamed to ask for it. Pray for us, brothers. And I would just say, as your pastor, um, I said this last night, too, at our, at our online study there. 
pray for me. I'll be uh, 100% open and honest. I need your prayers. And when somebody says to me, Pastor Rick, I'm praying for you, I say, thank you so much, and I mean that. Please really be praying for me and for my family, for Pastor Mike, for the elders. Pray for us. We desperately need it. But specifically, he asked that the word of the Lord, what's the word of the Lord? Um, Probably most directly referring just to the gospel, the message of the Lord. Remember, the New Testament isn't fully written at this point, but the message of the gospel, the, the message of the death and resurrection of Christ in behalf of sinners, may that message, that good news, go quickly and speed ahead. But I think we could certainly apply it to the whole Bible, because the whole Bible ultimately testifies to Jesus. So the first prayer is that the word of the Lord speeds ahead. Remember, Paul is a missionary. He's seeing the gospel go forward to places it's never been. Pray that it goes quickly. Notice that. There is a certain urgency about this. This has to happen in haste. Uh, Every day that goes by that there isn't an urgency, there are people who live their lives without ever hearing about Jesus. There's a story, I've repeated this before, but it's such a powerful one, about Hudson Taylor, one of the first missionaries, uh, Protestant missionaries to China. And when he finally is able to share the gospel with his translator, and his translator comes to faith, the translator says to him, have you recently received this message in England? And Hudson Taylor had to say, no, in actuality, we have had it for hundreds of years. And the Chinese man said, then why have you waited so long to give it to us? Why why have you lacked urgency? This message needs to go out. So he says, pray specifically that it speeds ahead. But more than that, that it's received. Uh, You don't want to just sort of get the message out there in some broad way and pay no attention to the fact of whether it's honored, whether people who hear it actually receive it. You know, standing out in the middle of Boston with a sandwich board that says, uh, repent or go to hell, I mean, that gets the word out there in one sense. Is that a way to make sure it's honored or received? I think each person will have to kind of decide in their own conscience whether that's the effective way. We want to make sure it's, it's, it's shared, but it's shared in a way that is wise, that is loving, and that represents the full picture of who Christ is. We have multiple examples of this happening. He says, as happened among you. You Thessalonians, you were one, once, not long ago, just out and out pagans, worshiping the foreign gods, living for this world, and God transformed you. Now make sure that happens again and again throughout the world. Messages for us too, right? We were once living in darkness, living for ourselves, living for our own sin, and somebody... Somehow, whether that was a radio program or whether that was TV or whether that was a parent, somebody had enough love to share with you the message to make sure it it sped ahead and you received it. So as it happened to you, now make sure through prayer that you see this gospel continue to go forward. And then he asks that we, meaning the missionaries, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, um, among others certainly, would be delivered from wicked men. Um, and evil men, for not all have faith. Uh, The gospel always creates controversy. And wherever it goes, it creates a certain opposition. Uh, And so Paul is saying, also pray that we don't get killed right away, basically. Uh, That we don't get uh, face huge amounts of persecution as this gospel goes forward. But notice the order. 
First, pray that the word goes ahead, because that's the most important thing. Second, pray for our safety, because that's less important, ultimately, right? But pray for both, certainly, as the word of the mission of the gospel continues on. Let me just talk a minute about missions. Um, I think it's so important, and I, I would guess one of the more undertaught um, subjects. So let me just clarify, maybe this is helpful, um, as we think about missions. Um, sometimes we use the term missions to be such a broad term that it loses any of its real definition. So we are not all missionaries. I know sometimes you'll hear that said in sermons or whatever, we're all missionaries. I mean, if you broaden the definition to include everyone, then the word has lost any real meaning. Now, we are all called to do evangelism. We're all called as Christians, for those who believe in Jesus, to share the good news. We're all called to serve and love our neighbor. We're all called to get involved in our community. So, yes, all of those are true. But missions has a very specific meaning. It usually means that you cross cultural borders. Um, Cultural borders, not necessarily country, geographical borders. So in the United States, there are plenty of subgroups that you're crossing cultural borders for. So if you're trying to reach, for example, an Indian reservation, that's a cross-cultural mission work. Or there are subgroups like Hasidic Jews, um, Orthodox Jews that are unreached. I think we talked about... I had said 2.5, and then Mitch clarified, I think it's 5% of Jewish people believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And you look at the Hasidic population, it's even lower. So there are individual cross-cultural ministries within our own country, but oftentimes it means leaving um, the, the, our country. And missions is broad enough to, to, to refer to going and helping, serving, building a school, distributing food, um, medical missions. But really there's a strong emphasis on Reaching the unreached. And friends, let me just say there is what's called frontier missions. It's bringing the gospel to a place it's never been heard. It's not reached. And unreached has a very specific definition. It means there's no viable Christian community there. There's no native Christians or very few. There's not a a viable Christian witness in that cultural setting. Friends, this is the Great Commission. This is what we're supposed to be primarily focused on. Go and make disciples of all the nations. (laughs) And yet we spend so much of our energy and effort and resources reaching the reached, reaching those who are already reached. I was talking to one missionary, Craig Alsop, actually our missions team, spent time um, on a Zoom meeting with uh, Craig, who does missions in these unreached parts of the world, and we just sort of bombarded him with questions to get some answers. But one of the things he has said to me before is that 99.9% of all giving goes towards reached people. It's already to reach those who have the message available readily. And only 0.1% of giving goes to actually reaching the unreached areas of this world, like the 1040 window, like the Middle East, like Pakistan, like Nepal, like parts of China. Was a should be an added emphasis of reaching them, that they might hear the gospel. Uh, Nip, uh, Nick Ripkin uh, tells the story of when he first went to Somalia. You think of Somalia, right? One of the the darker parts of the globe, I think we could say. Uh, when you think of parts that are particularly dangerous to go to, 
and maybe seemingly not very open to the gospel, you think maybe of Somalia near the top of that list. Well, he's a missionary in Malawi, and, but has a heart to want to go to Somalia. And all of his missionary friends tell him, don't go to Somalia. Don't go to, Nick, don't go to Somalia. But one day he decides to cross the board. He goes into Somalia and he's talking to all of these armed soldiers, uh, these men with, with you know, AK-47s. Um, and he says, hey, I want to know, have you guys met my friend Jesus? And uh, all of a sudden they start talking in their own language. And they get loud and animated and they're yelling and they're yelling at each other. And uh, he didn't know that's sort of how Somalians are. They're very animated. Um, but as they're sort of arguing, you can hear the name Jesus. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And finally he turns to them and said, they turn to him and say, we have not, we don't know where your friend Jesus is, but Muhammad thinks he's in a different camp. So they, <laughs> that was his first introduction to Somalia. And we went back, he told his mission group that I, I think I want to go to Somalia. And he said to them, I know they're not very receptive to the gospel. And his mission head got mad at him. How can you say that? when nobody has brought them the gospel yet? How can you say they're not receptive when nobody has reached them yet with this message? This should be an added emphasis here as we pray that the word of the Lord speeds ahead to places it hasn't yet been to. So how can we pray? Pray for your missionaries. Uh, Pray for them. Keep them in mind. Don't forget them. Communicate with them. Ask the Lord to give them fruit. Many of them are serving faithfully in settings where the gospel is yet to be and they're facing all different types of opposition because not all have faith. Uh, Give generously. So I've probably neglected to say this, but your tithing should be to your local church. You bring the whole tithe into your storehouse. Um, And then above and beyond, you give to missions. That's the biblical picture. Uh, and certainly, friends, as I've mentioned during the, earlier during the service as a church, we are very much dependent, and we're hitting a hard time, to be honest. It's COVID. Um, we need your generous and faithful giving. But above and beyond, then, we give to missions and to other causes. Learn about missions. Learn about it. Talk to you, a missionary. Email, read their emails. Understand what they're going through so we can pray better for them, and then go. Uh, We need to do far more short-term mission trips uh, as a church. Once this whole COVID era is over, let's do do far more short-term trips to just send folks, send our teenagers, send people out there. Let, Let them experience firsthand what God is doing out and around the world. Pray for the mission of the gospel. Pray for successful spiritual warfare, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Paul talks about the battle, really. Uh, he says, of course, right, he said, not all have faith. So there is physical opposition, there is persecution, that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men. But then, he turns it and says, but the Lord is faithful. No matter what opposition that we face in this life from human beings or from anything else, God is ultimately in control and he is faithful. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Even as they face persecution from wicked and evil men, as he says, they trust in a faithful God. 
And what he says here is that he will establish you, make you firm, so you're not wishy-washy in your faith, not trusting God one day, doubting God the next, not sort of walking with the Lord and then you face a temptation and you're sort of bouncing all over the place. You're established, you're firm in your faith. And that he would guard you against the evil one. What is Jesus' prayer and the Lord's prayer? The final thing he asks, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The devil, Satan, the enemy. Now he has confidence in this battle, in this fight against the evil one. As he says in verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord about you. So he's not saying, I'm worried you're going to lose this battle and fall back into the world. I'm confident that the Lord who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it that you will overcome, that you will last. But we don't do that by apathy. We do that by prayerfully seeking the Lord and asking him to establish us and to guard us. As he says, I'm confident that you will continue to do the things that we command, the things that he said throughout this letter, that you will follow the word of the Lord. Friends, a good reminder to us, what do you pray about? You pray for the mission of the gospel, but you pray for spiritual warfare. You pray that God continues to give you victory. Uh, the devil, by the way, I believe, and I think scripture is pretty clear, is a real but immaterial fallen angel. There is a personal devil. Now that being said, he's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. So he's not tempting everyone in the world all at once. Sometimes we speak of the devil like he's got God-like powers. He doesn't. Of course, there is a spiritual world beyond him himself. There's a fallen angels in general that he leads but what is his desire what is his end game what is he trying to do one thing he wants to do is he wants to make us suffer people say that right he wants us to be in pain well sure that is true but even more so he wants to lead you into sin at his very heart he's a rebel paradise lost great book by john milton brings this out the devil's smart enough, I guess we could say, to know that he can't overthrow God. God is infinite, eternal. But what he can do is cry out for his own autonomy, his own deity, the right to his own rebellion, and then take as many with him as he can. So if that means you and I suffering, he's okay with that. But the ultimate goal is to see us be a bunch of little rebels ourselves. I like what C.S. Lewis says about this in the screw tape letters. Remember the screw tape letters are Lewis talking as if a senior demon is speaking to a lesser demon giving him advice. So peeking into the other side. Kind of imagine it that way, right? And this is what screw tape, Uncle Screw Tape gives Wormwood for advice. The immediate fear and suffering, he's talking about World War II here, the immediate fear and suffering of the humans is a legitimate and pleasing refreshment for our myriads of toiling workers. But what permanent good does it do unless we make use of it? Suffering is a pleasure to us as demons, but what good is it if, it doesn't, if we don't make use of it? We may hope for a good deal of cruelty and unchastity, but if we're not careful, we shall see thousands turning in this tribulation to God. How much better for us if all humans died in costly nursing homes amid doctors who lie, nurses who lie, friends who lie, as if we train them. 
promising life to the dying, encouraging the belief that sickness excuses every indulgence, and even if our workers know their job, withholding all suggestion of a priest, lest it should betray to the sick man his true condition. In other words, if we can hide death from them as long as possible so they never even consider it right to the end, that's far more successful than making them suffer and fear death. Satan's desire ultimately is for our spiritual ruin. He wants to make you doubt. He wants to make it so you don't share Christ because you're not confident in him. He wants to make you lose faith and hope to walk away from Jesus, to no longer associate with the church. That's his ultimate desire, to create a little rebel out of you as he is the great rebel. But remember, we win the war. <laughs> so, God is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Jesus died and he rose again. Here we are in Lent where we draw our attention to the great battle, the battle for our salvation, which Jesus has already fought and won. He lived in his sinless perfection, died on the cross in our place, has risen from the dead to conquer death for all of us. There are skirmishes and battles and casualties along the way, but we keep our eyes on the fact that the Lord is faithful. What do we pray about? Pray for successful spiritual warfare. Friends, in this case, ignorance is not bliss. (laughs) Be mindful of his schemes and his lies and his tricks and trust the Lord in the midst of it, in the face of doubt, in the face of despair, in the face of suffering. Remember that the Lord is faithful. No matter what, the Lord is faithful. We can't see the whole picture now, but he is faithful in the midst of the trial, the opposition. He is God. Pray that he establishes you. Makes it so your faith is firm. It's not wishy-washy and thrown away, thrown back and forth. Make me pray that he guards you against the evil one. I love Jesus' prayer, lead us not into temptation. Uh, Not just give us strength to overcome temptation. Don't even bring me to the temptation, right? (laughs) I'm weak enough as it is. Just lead me entirely away from any temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So pray that he guards you. And certainly don't just do that for yourself. Pray he establishes others that you know and love. Pray that he guards them as well. And then, friends, I would just say, pray and then seek to live it out. And when you fail, not if, but when, (laughs) repent, get back up, and keep going. And trust that the Lord is faithful. We pray for the spread of the gospel that it makes haste, that hastily, speedily, quickly goes to the ends of the earth. We pray for successful spiritual warfare that God guards us against the evil one. What else do we pray? Verse 5, pray for our hearts to be directed to God. I love this last prayer request. And this is an actual prayer from him, not just a prayer request. He says, may the Lord. So he's asking for this very thing as he writes this letter. Uh, Notice, this is so insightful, by the way, into how prayer works. Uh, Pray that God directs our hearts. Our desires, our actions, our words, they come out of our heart, right? So pray that the heart itself is what is directed here. Don't just pray for your actions. Pray your heart is in the right place. We do it what we desire. Our desire does what the heart wants. Change the source and we change our lives. 
And directed to what then? Pray. He says specifically that it's directed to the love of God. That we are regularly thinking about, meditating on, considering the great love of God for his people. And the steadfastness of Christ. Meaning his steadfastness for us and the steadfast work that he does in us and making us persevere. Before we look more at that though, prayer, friends, prayer shapes us because it, 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 our hearts are directed by what we pray for. If what we desire is changed, our lives are changed. So in the Psalms, for example, it says, he will give you the desires of your heart. And we love that verse because it sounds like God's going to give me whatever I want, <laughs> right? Which is kind of true. But you have to understand the bigger picture. He doesn't say, you in your fallen, rebellious, sinful little way want certain things and God's just going to pour out all those things on you. (laughs) He's going to change what you desire (laughs) so that what you desire is his will. And then he's going to pour out all the blessings of heaven on you. (laughs) That's how it really works. And friends, and that, honestly, that's better anyways for us. Let's, get, let's clap about that. I'm all for that. <laughs> friends, we, we are shaped and molded by prayer because we're asking God to direct our very being. The reason why I get angry, the reason why I depend upon an addiction, the reason why I feel a need to gossip or have this jealousy in my my heart is because of the heart itself. And if God redirects that, everything else changes from there. And he, notice the assumption behind this then, is God is sovereign over the heart. <laughs> he can change its course. As it says in the Proverbs, he directs the heart where he wills. This is one section that says that Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. And if it's true of a king, it's true of all of us as well. Pray that God directs our hearts. The heart is a weak, finicky, quickly changing thing. We're passionate about one thing one day, infatuated about something else the next day, have a different desire the day after that. But ask ask that the Lord directs our heart to the love of God. That our souls would be filled with a sense of who he is and how he sees us. I want to give you a quote from Jonathan Edwards, the famous uh, pastor right here in Massachusetts, Northampton in the 1700s, talking about the love of God. He writes this, The creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end, that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse. Not a single human woman, by the way. The church, God's people. Towards whom he might fully exercise the infinite benevolence of his nature. And to whom he might, as it were, open and pour forth all that immense fountain of condescension love and grace that was in his heart and that in this way God might be glorified. 
creation of the world exists so that God would have a people whom he would look to as a spouse and he would pour out his unending love towards them. Pray that God directs our hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. Which again, first and foremost, means Christ himself's steadfastness, his perseverance, his endurance, his faithfulness to live a sinless, perfect life and go to the cross for us. And what better time to do that than during, as we said, Lent. Maybe spend some time during this time, it's only a couple weeks in now, uh, reading one of the four Gospels, reading Matthew, reading Mark, reading Luke, reading John, looking at the actual life of Christ and thinking about what he's done for us. I remember hearing about a particular skeptic young girl who said, I don't know if I believe this Christian faith thing. And somebody said wisely, well, just, just read, read the Gospel of John. Just read it. And then we'll have a discussion. Before we talk about it, just read it. And she said as she was reading the Gospel of John, she found herself arguing with the book. What do you mean that? What are you, what are you saying there, Jesus? I don't know. And then by the end, she realized that she was having a conversation with a God she knew really did exist <laughs> because she was talking through it throughout. Look at the actual steadfastness of Christ. But I think there is something more being said here. That steadfastness of Christ that we have in us that enables us to persevere. May God direct our hearts to that level of hope in what is to come. That our hearts would be fixed in him. Pray, pray, pray. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line point here, friends. How do we pray? Here's a good start. Pray for the mission of the gospel. Pray for successful spiritual warfare that you overcome, that the Lord establish you and guard you. And pray that your heart is directed to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I want to be honest, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed during this season. Uh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by the amount of suffering people are going through. And uh, there's what's called, you know, empathy tiredness. That's not the right term. I can't remember the term. Where you just, after a while, you're dealing with folks who are going through such hard times of grief. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed hearing about the financial situation we have as a church through this COVID time. And I'm dealing with my own sickness. So uh, it's been a hard season. But recognizing that we live in a spiritual reality. The Lord is faithful. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And when we pray, we put it on his altar. We're praying that the mission continues to go forward, that God gives us spiritual breakthrough in these darker times, and that he continues to direct all of our hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the scriptures that remind us again and again of what is of highest importance. Lord, throughout the day, we, we each go through things that are of importance, but often of lesser, far lesser importance. What needs to be done throughout that particular single, single day? But in your word, Lord, we're reminded of 
of the big picture of a faithful God who oversees our lives, who is sanctifying us, who is faithful. Of the word of God which has been going forward for 2,000 years and even still today is reaching new places where it's never been reached. We're reminded of the love of God that is poured out on us, not just in this life, but for all eternity. We're reminded of the hope that we have in Christ as we look to the perseverance of Christ to be faithful for as long as you give us here as we look to that day in which we will be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.